welcome to the Genesis Church Podcast. My name is PJ Charles. I'm the pastor of care and counseling here at Genesis Church, and I have been uh, blessed with the, the responsibility of initiating a brand new summer series for you. It's called His Story, My Story. And so um, if you know anything about the Bible, you know that um, the Bible is, is descriptive and prescriptive, right? So there's parts of the Bible that just describe who God is. So, for example, you know, a lot of people will talk about uh, the love of Jesus, right? That's New Testament. But they don't understand how important the love of Jesus is without the fear of God, which is what you find in the Old Testament, right? And so that's where you get descriptive. That's where you learn who God is, what he's about, why he is the way he is, and how we as followers are supposed to respond uh, to him. But then there's the prescriptive element of it, right? And... Um, outside of like, you know, um, Numbers and Leviticus, which, you know, the only prescriptive thing is like, God, how am I going to make it through this book? Because it could be kind of dull and, and you challenge yourself to like stay awake through it. Um, the prescriptive parts of the Bible are where you can read a certain passage and you can just say, okay, well, what is it that God would want me to glean from this? What is it that I'm supposed to learn and apply to my life? How does this help my current situation, and how does it help me be a, a, a better, um, you know, beacon of light to a community and to a world that needs it, right? And that's a prescriptive element of the Bible. And so as we move through this series, His Story, My Story, we're going to ask you to look at a prescriptive element, right? How is the scripture speaking to you? What is it that God wants to reveal to you through this, and how can you apply it? Sounds good? Yes? All right, so we're going to jump right in to a passage of Scripture coming out of the book of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8, and then we're going to pause, and I'm going to explain some things to you, and then we're going to move on through the story. Sounds good? All right, Luke 8, chapter 40, verse 42 begins like this. It says, now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Now, we're going to stop for a minute because there's two words there. They're in red, and I want you to pay attention to them. The first word is crowd, and the second is pressed, okay? So the thing about crowds is they're kind of like a mob. Now, if you've ever watched like Entertainment Tonight or TMZ or any social media or anything like that, you know like when a celebrity is just tries to step out into the real world, typically they're swarmed. They're swarmed by paparazzi, they're swarmed by crowds of people. Some people just see a crowd and they're like, I want to see what's in the crowd, and then they're part of the crowd, and they got people licking glasses on car doors and all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And it's just it's 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 just chaotic at best, right? And Jesus was a celeb in these days right? Jesus is walking the street. People have heard some stuff about him. And you have these mobs of people that are crowding around him. And as scripture says, they're pressing into him. And it's really important that you listen to that word, that pressing, because it's going to come up again and again. But I want to move back into the crowd part, because this is very, very important. Experts and behavioral you know, specialists, they say that in any particular crowd, there are five separate groups. Okay, five separate groups, each with their own 
agenda, each with their own mindset, uh, but, they're, but they're clusters of people that exist in any one crowd, especially when it comes around one particular person or thing, okay? And we're gonna talk about this crowd because it's extremely important because this crowd is pressing in around Jesus. So who are these people that are around him as they're pressing into him? And what makes that so important in this story? Well, the first important part, before we start talking about the parts of the crowd, is I want to talk about Jesus, because this is his story, right? So you've got this man in the middle of this crowd, and you have to wonder, well, what's going on in his mind? Well, let's go to the book of John for a moment. Chapter 2, it reads this. It says, because of the miraculous signs Jesus did in Jerusalem at the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Jesus didn't trust them because he knew all about people. No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. Some of you are like, oh, snap. Yeah, oh, snap. Okay? No one needed to tell him about human nature, for he knew what was in each person's heart. So here's God's story. God was, is, and always will be. Funny thing is, when I used to teach middle school and high school students, they used to say the Bible's old, and, and the culture was different, and the times were different, and people were different. Wrong. Culture different? Maybe. Time different? Yeah. People different? No. Human nature does not change. We are finite creatures, okay? Anger, jealousy, love, hate, basic emotions. Those things don't evolve. Those things don't change. And Jesus knew what was in each person's heart. Now, the word trust we have to examine because he's not like they're shady. That's not what he means by trust. More it's like he was curious about their intentions, Okay? And so sit back, and Jesus surveys this crowd, and he knew about human nature. So he knows what people think about him. And this is important because as we examine these crowds, and I want you to take that scenario into a Sunday morning scenario. Here we are, gathered together in church. We are a crowd pressing into Jesus. We're all here for different reasons, but Jesus is the main motivation. And so these five groups of people in the crowd also exist in this room. And so now, automatically, his story becomes your story. And so I'm going to go through these five groups of people in the crowd, and I'm going to first give you a disclaimer and say that I have been one of each of these people in this group at one time in my life. And I'm going to ask you to search your heart and think about where you might fall in into these five different groups. You ready? You have been warned. The five groups of people, the curious, the confused, the pretenders, the opposers, and the committed. I'm going to tell you right now that a lot of you are standing in here, and I'm going to ask you the question, who do you think you are in this crowd? And many of you are going to say, I'm the committed ones. Jesus all day, every day, won't he do it? But I'm also going to tell you that statistically, the committed is what most people think they are, 
but are the smallest group in any crowd. Look at your neighbor and go, oh, snap. The first one is the curious. The curious are the questioning and the doubting. They're the ones that are here every Sunday faithfully, and they, they believe what the Bible says. They believe that Jesus is who they say he is. They got a lot of questions. Like, if the Bible says that Jesus is this, then, then why is this happening? And, and, if, and if God is good and, and, and God is love, then, then what is this about? And, and, and I'm just so confused because the Bible says this, but then this isn't what I see, and I, and I just don't understand. And, 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 and questions are good, and doubts are good, but staying that way, not so good. Right? And the author of Hebrews is writing to Jewish Christians, and he says this. He says, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. What the author here is saying is we don't need to go over the basic disciplines of Christianity week in, week out. As teachers, yes, some of that's on us, but the rest of it is on you. And if you're coming in here Sunday after Sunday and, you know, you're good with your daily devotions, but you're not diving into God's word on your own, how do you go from milk to solid food? If this is your first time in the church, I'm not talking about you, but I will be in a couple of months. You're expected to grow into spiritual maturity. That's not always on the leaders. Okay, and so the same applies for the curious that were existing around this time at Jesus' day because Scripture said he was who he was and he was going to do what he did, and yet there were still all of these questions and all of these doubts, right? The second one, the confused. I need a moment here. I got to ask God to check my heart because I can get a little salty. The spiritual, not religious. These are those who I like to call jambalaya believers, okay? Because they're going to take a little bit of Buddhist stuff, and they're going to throw it in the pot here. And, you know, we got some yoga with some meditation, and I'm going to toss that in there. You know, and I'm a Capricorn born under Aries moon, so I married a Pisces, Taurus, mix, blend, whatever. And I'm going to throw that in the pot, and then I'm going to take a little bit of, I don't know, some Muslim stuff, and I'm going to toss that in there. And I'm going to believe all of this stuff because the universe guides my path, and I am spiritual <laughs> and not religious. Now, I mock it, but it's a very dangerous precedent, okay? Because not only are you confused, but you're confusing everybody around you, okay? And the book, the book of Isaiah prophesies this. God said, and this is what concerns the gospel, he said, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am to a nation that was not called by my name. You see, the thing with being spiritual and not religious is it, it, it sounds good. It, it, it does. And the whole universe thing, I get it. But the reality behind that is idolatry. 
It's people who are trying to create a religion of their own design because they can take what they like and push out what they don't like, and then they can feel like, yeah, there's some oneness going on here, and, you know, if God comes and he's real, then I, I was kind of in it. Can I get a pass? Right? And if he doesn't exist, then at least I was a good person. Right? The third, the pretenders. I might need a Usa moment for this one too. I put worldly worship here. And the scripture says, this is Jesus. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. It's a fake. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. So I'm not going to go into this too much because that's another message for another day. But I saw like a post yesterday, and you know what month it is. And this woman puts, God is love, and love is love, so love is love, and yay, go pride, right? That's exactly what that means. God is love, but don't distort it. And if you don't know what you're talking about, then don't say it. Because saying God is love without a precedent is dangerous. And it distorts the reality of God and who he is and what he came for and what he's going to do when he comes back. And so by mixing culture and calling yourself a Christian is equally as dangerous as being confused because you're guiding sheep off of cliffs. And this worldly worship does not play. But this is the world we're living in. And in Jesus' day, these pretenders represented themselves as the Pharisees, as the scribes, as the teachers of the law, because they molded and tweaked the law for their pockets, which leads to the next group, which are the opposers. These are the haters, straight haters, okay? Pharisees hated Jesus because he was coming for their pockets, coming for their wealth, coming for their status. And I get it. Because I remember a time in my life, it took me a while to build up this image of myself that I liked. And then I opened up God's word and I was like, are you kidding me? I got to start all over again. Everything I built up is wrong. Everything I thought was right is bad. I got to start over. And that's a challenge. That's hard for some people. The Pharisees, they weren't having it, right? And now there's another type of hater, and I've been this one too. When I'm sitting in the church, and I've been burned, and I've been hurt, and I'm just looking for an excuse to call the pastor out. I'm looking out around campus, and I'm looking for a reason why I could say this church is no good. Those hypocrites, those liars, those thieves. And what's happening there is it's a little bit of a pride issue, isn't it? Because you don't blame the creator for creation. And man will fail you, but God is forever. And if you're manifesting that hate, you need to come to Jesus' moment. Those are the haters. And then there's one more. These are the committed. These are the ones who get it. First Peter writes, first Peter writes, Peter writes to the church, he says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and you rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, 
obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. These are those who Scripture just made sense. God just sounds right. I'm in. I believe it. You tell me where God's word tells me this is the way I'm supposed to live and I will reap benefits and blessing. I believe it. I'll tell you something else about the committed. You see it in them. You don't have to worry or wonder or be curious about who they are. We got here at 7 o'clock this morning. Not by my choice. I'm just going to say it. But I'm walking through the campus. It's like 30-something people, not including choir and everybody on site, AV team. You got people that are here and they're serving. Thankless job. Right? Even now there's people watching your kids doing different things and they're serving. And we talk about serving all the time. You go, here he goes again. He's going to ask me to serve. You know what? I probably am. Go serve. All right? But understand this. Understand that commitment happens because of joy. Okay? You serve with joy because that's the overflow of the blessing of your commitment to God and receiving his blessing. It's not the other way around. It doesn't work the other way around. If you commit with no joy, you're just going to be miserable here serving. We got a few of those too. Okay? But the committed are the ones that get it. And they understand this. And these are the people that are surrounding themselves by these. These are the apostles. These are the the, the hardcore followers. This is Mary Magdalene who's seen Jesus impacting her life and understanding. These are scribes who opened up scripture and goes, oh, just what it says there. Look, that's him right there. Look, I get it. I see it. It's, it. It is what it is. And these are the committed. So everybody good? Everybody understand the five? You know who you are? You lying to yourself? You have the curious. You have the confused. We have the pretenders, we have the opposers, we have the committed. Now, if we're all clear here, we're going to go back to our regularly scheduled program, and we revert back to the book of Luke, chapter 8, read verse 40 through 42 again, and then we'll move along. It says, now when Jesus returned, this crowd, the five groups, all of us, we welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him, and there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue, and falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter about 12 years of age, And as she was dying, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. Now, the important part of this part is Jairus. Jairus is the leader of a synagogue. He is a Jew. He is a man of status. He's up here. And if he's calling on Jesus to help him, everybody's like, oh, snap. What's going to happen next? Stampede. Thus the pressing. See what I'm saying right there? And so now this crowd is going, and they're talking amongst themselves. This is a Jewish leader. This guy's a Pharisee. Yeah, but he's asking Jesus for help. What's up with that? I don't know. Let's go see. And everybody's moving. Okay? But then there's another person in the crowd. And I believe there's one of these in this room here today. And in verse 43, we meet her. It said, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living, all her wages on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. 
I want you to understand about the desperate. The desperate will either remain trapped by despair or restored by hope. Now, something you need to understand about this woman, she's bleeding out. She was ceremonially unclean. She's not even supposed to be out in public, much less in a crowd, much less in proximity of a man who calls himself a rabbi or a teacher. And she had a choice to make, trapped by despair or restored by hope. And I know there's at least one in this room who's standing in the same place, trapped by despair, stuck in it, comfortable in it, or looking for a change. And it says she did this. She came up through the crowd. Now remember this crowd. Remember this pressing. Remember who she is. Remember who she's struggling with. She came up behind him. She pushes her way through this crowd. And she touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. I'm going to paraphrase. Peter said, Jesus, are you crazy? Everybody's touching you. You're in a crowd, and they're pressing around you. What do you mean who's touching you? Everybody. I'm touching you. Right? Now, fringe. I know some of y'all are sitting there, and you're looking at me, and I'm like, that's a very unique fashion statement PJ's making. <laughs> Got some string. Did not come with the shirt. Right? But this is a very poor example of a real thing. This is a fringe. This is a seat seat in the Hebrew language, it's called. And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the people of Israel and tell them to make tassels on the corners of their garments throughout the generations and to put a cord of blue on the tassel of each corner. Now you need to know that this is the way Jewish folks, men, wear these seat seats in modern day time. And I was running the streets of Brooklyn. We used to see Hasidic Jews all the time. And I used to think that the cords were for Jewish wives to pull their husbands back in the house when they were running the streets. But it wasn't so. In actuality, this cord itself represents the Torah. And the numerical value for the word Torah is 600. And eight cords that make up the seat seat, plus the five knots that are woven into it, make up the number 13. And the number 613 is the total number of laws and commands that God gave the nation of Israel through the first five books, which is the Torah. And so this represents all of God's laws, including the one that told that woman that she should stay home. This cord wrapped with blue represents the authority of a priest. This cord represents the separation from society as God's chosen people. This cord represents God's law, his word, his command, his truth 
for his people. And this woman decided to break maybe like 20 of those laws. Because hope sometimes doesn't make sense. And so it says she reached out. She touched a fringe. Come on up here. You. Give a little touch. <laughs> Take this. Says she touched a fringe. And immediately she was healed. And immediately Jesus said, who touched me? Because she didn't just touch a string. She touched a representation of God's power and authority. And Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him because she should have been stoned just for being there. Trembling and falling down before him and declared in the presence of all the people, all the five groups in the crowd, why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. This is a two-for-one, folks. Jesus is on his way to make a miracle and does one en route. Okay? Power has gone out from me. History, his story, is a story written by the finger of God. C.S. Lewis didn't just write the Chronicles of Narnia, by the way. History is a story written by the finger of God. The finger of God is a very, very important phrase, only used twice in the Bible, once in Deuteronomy, other time in Matthew. The first time to represent the kingdom of God, the second time to represent the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus says, power has gone out from me, it was a transference, the power of the Holy Spirit in him just by a touch on a fringe to a woman in need of power and healing and strength. It's important to recognize that. And so the story continues and says, and Jesus said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. After the first service, a woman told me, this is the only time Jesus calls a woman daughter. You knew that. Nice. I didn't know that. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Her story begins with a touch. I don't know what your story is. My story began in desperation. I'll never forget. I was one of those pretenders. I was only in church because the girl I liked was. All right? Until one day, sitting next to her, and it hit me. I want to marry this girl. And then I was terrified. I want to marry this girl. And I realized 
I had no idea how to be a good husband. None, not a clue. I was barely a good person. Had no idea how to be a good father. But I knew where to go to learn it because I was already there. (laughs) And it was that moment of desperation where I was going to say, all right, God, break me down. Build me back up because this is important to me. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it your way because I clearly don't have a way. And that was my story. And that was my moment of desperation. And I wonder, for some of you out there, what's your story? What's your story going to begin with? For some of you, your story might begin with forgiving someone. For others of you, you might need to ask for forgiveness. For some of you, your story might begin with prayer. For others of you, it might begin with humility, confession, seeking. For others of you, you might be at a crossroad and you don't know where you're going and you don't know what's next and you're tired of trying to fix it yourself. And so maybe today's the day you allow your story to begin. Maybe today's the day you're just tired. Tired of being tired. Tired of fighting battles that were never yours to fight to begin with. Maybe today's the day you're you're tired of allowing the things of this world to fill your heart with anxiety and fear and confusion. And you just need rest. Maybe your story begins with brokenness. But with the belief that God will build you up better than you were before. I don't know who you are. I don't know if you're confused or if you're just curious or if you're you know, a hater. Or I, I don't know. But my prayer for you would be that somewhere along the last 20 minutes here, you're trying to figure it out. I do know that God is waiting. And scripture says, knock, and the door will be opened. Ask, and you will receive. Because the healing is for everyone, whether that be spiritually, emotionally, physically. The peace is for everyone. It's yours for the asking. Will you pray with me? Thank you for tuning into the Genesis Church Podcast. We hope you were blessed by today's message. 
you want to connect more with Genesis Church, you can find all of our information at www.genesischurchorlando.com. We would love to hear from you. You can also follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube at Genesis Church Orlando.